Looking for a great dining experience in Charlottesville? Look no further than the Aberdeen Barn. The barn has been family owned and operated since 1965, with Terry and Angela providing great atmosphere and mouth-watering food at Virginia's big time steakhouse. Enjoy the fine dining or relax in the Sportsman's Bar, a fantastic place to wind down and socialize, surrounded by flat screen televisions tuned to the latest sporting events. You never know who you might bump into at the Aberdeen Barn, where all the greatest Cavaliers have dined over the decades and keep coming back for the delicious menu and good times. Check it out online at AberdeenBarn.com or call 434-296-4630. Hey, this is Thomas Q. Jones, former UVA All-American running back, and you're listening to The Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Wahoo wah. Welcome to the show, the Jerry Radcliffe Show. I'm Chris Graham, joined by the Hall of Famer, Jerry Radcliffe. And we've got some um, some fresh news to get into with a lot of stuff this week in UVA sports news. But we got to start with uh, the re- news release from UVA Athletics today about Jay Wolfolk. Not surprising news, uh, honestly, Jerry, um, at least for me. I've, been, I, I've sort of been prognosticating this for months and probably not the only one to do so. But Jay Wolfolk announcing that he will no longer be part of the UVA football program, going to focus on baseball as he gets ready for his junior year in, in baseball. And he'll he's a, a top prospect for the 24, 2024 Major League Draft. Uh, but this really puts the UVA football program in a bit of a bind. Yeah, you're right, Chris. I agree. I, I, I wasn't really caught off guard by that either. In fact, when we were over at uh, – the George Walsh indoor facility this morning, talking to a few of the players who had transferred late into the program uh, for some future stories and sports information director, uh, media relations director, I guess they call it these days. Uh, Jim Davis told us there was some news coming. I kind of thought that might be what it was that Jay Wolfolk was leaving the football program to focus on baseball and, you know, I I talked to a, a a major league scout back a few months ago, and we were talking about Wolfolk, and he said his future is definitely in baseball with the kind of arm he has, speed, and uh, you know, he even though he didn't have a great year this year by uh, his expectations, he he still was pretty good. He's pitching for the USA national team. Uh, as we speak, I, he started the other night. I don't know if he ended up with them. I think they lost the game, but I'm not sure he got the loss. But, um, yeah, it does leave uh, Tony Elliott in a bit of a bind because, as we discussed last week, had Jay come in and and not won the job in training camp, but you, you still have a – a backup there with a couple, a couple of years of experience in the Virginia well in college football and and two uh, well, over a year's experience in Virginia's offense that Tony Elliott and Des Kitchens installed. So uh, they're kind of in a bind for whoever's going to be the backup because I'm I'm sure that Tony Musket is. Uh, is definitely penciled in as a starter. I'm not sure he has even very much competition for the starting job at this point. Yeah. uh, On the football side of this, uh, Jay, Jay would have competed. Uh, I think his, his uh, lack of availability, he was part of spring practice, but he was on a pitch count as Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings like to call it uh, in terms of his, his throws in, in spring practice, but he was there for a lot of work. Um, in terms of uh, learning more about the offense, he was there for what they call mental reps, you know, getting the play call for a quarterback, uh, standing behind the line of scrimmage, kind of, you know, reading the defense, going through the progressions, just like he was in the game, just not throwing the ball himself or in the drill, but just not throwing the ball. Uh, and so he did get a lot of work uh, in the spring with the football team. He would have been competing for that starting job. He probably wouldn't have gotten it, but he would have been the backup and he would have gotten a lot of time. Probably uh, it had been told to me back in the spring that, uh, you know, they would have figured out some ways to get him on the field in other capacities, maybe in wildcat situations, that kind of thing. And now for Virginia uh, at the quarterback uh, position, uh, you've got Tony Musket, but then behind him, 
most likely the the guy who got the uh, the the bulk of the snaps. In fact, all the snaps uh, on the other side in the spring game was a, a true freshman, Anthony Calandria, uh, who uh, was not going to be really competing for the starting job if, with Wolfolk in camp. But now that Wolfolk's not in camp, he's got to be ready to be the number two. And if you're not competing for the starting job, uh, you know when those other two guys are are competing for the starting job. You're expecting that the guy who loses that battle becomes a number two quarterback. Now, Calandria, all of a sudden, true freshman, is going to be your number two. You have to presume. Um, there's a few guys behind him uh, who were not con- not in the running to even be the number three guy. Now, all of a sudden, have to be uh, you know, sort of competing for that uh, position as well. So quarterback goes from a position that wasn't necessarily of strength before. It's definitely not a position of strength now, and you have to wonder what that does for the play calling you know, you. I don't know if you're Tony Elliott and Des Kitchens. You cannot afford to have Tony Musket get hurt at any point in a game or any point this season um, with with your backup being a true freshman. No matter how good Calandria looked in the spring game, you, I don't know if you can feel confident going in with him as your as your solid backup and then having to become the starter, perhaps. And then behind Calandria, there's really not a lot. So, whoa, this is this is not good for UVA football. I think that probably puts even more pressure on the running game to be successful, Chris, so that they don't have to run musket like they have their last two quarterbacks over the past four years because that was the bulk of of the ground game over that span of time. And so even last year, Armstrong was a leading rusher for this team. Yeah. And so. I don't know if that I don't necessarily think that was by design last year, like it was the previous three. But um, yeah, it's uh, you know they're going to have to put together some kind of a running attack. To, uh, otherwise, people are just going to tee off and rush the heck out of Musket and put him under a lot of pressure. So uh, I think it's imperative they find some way to run the football, but. You know, I was looking at a list the other day um, on Twitter of some somebody, I can't remember who it was now, um, had rated the 14 quarterbacks in the ACC and Virginia. And, it, you know, they did obviously weren't sure if Musket or Wolfolk was going to start, but they just said Virginia quarterbacks, and they were rated 14th in the league. So, um We've we've seen a little bit of musket. We know he's had good numbers at Monmouth. Uh, we don't know what kind of a deep ball he throws because we haven't seen that much of it. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He he seems well equipped for it. Uh, you know, you talk to him; he's a very confident young man and uh, believes that with his experience that that he can deliver for Virginia. But you know, can can he generate the kind of points it's going to take to win ball games? We talked about this at length in last week's podcast that you know Virginia averaged seventeen points a game, and you just can't win Power Five football these days or FCS uh, football by scoring seventeen points a game. You just can't do it. There's just too many offensive numbers out there that that are flying around there where you gotta you gotta put points on the board you gotta move the football and you know that they've got to find a way to do that and I you know it's gonna be I think that's what's gonna make training camp very interesting to see I don't know how much we'll get to see of it but I think that's gonna be something that everybody's gonna be watching as to how this offense develops if there's any new twists or turns in it, uh, some wrinkles that they've put in since last year to try to put points on the board and, and move the chains. What I'm about to say is not 2020 hindsight. I wrote back when uh, uh, Brennan Armstrong announced he was headed for the transfer portal that Tony Elliott would need to get out on the portal and find two quarterbacks off the portal. And that was when you were, we were still presuming that Jay Wolfolk, who had been the backup for two years, would would go in as the presumed favorite to be the starter. But just from a depth standpoint, you know, you need guys, you need bodies. And there were and because there were there was really nobody behind Wolfolk, 
uh, in, in the rotation. I know there, again, there's guys there, uh, you know, SID will say there's, there's other, there's four other quarterbacks there, but none of those guys are presumed to even be in the running for the number three spot. They'd have to be now. Um, so now, I mean, and, and, and it's not like starting sometime uh, during baseball season that it wasn't becoming somewhat obvious that Jay Wolfolk was not going to be around for next football season. I mean, you know, even though he went through spring practice, you know, once you start seeing his name pop up uh, as a second or third round pick next year, you had to start thinking, man, maybe this doesn't this doesn't add up uh, for him to play football. So from a it's it's unconscionable that Tony Elliott didn't go out and find a second quarter. And, and then after spring. OK, so you I, I, we'll give you January and February. But after the spring practice, you know, there's a second portal period. How could he have not gone up then and tried to find another quarterback? I mean, come on. From a depth standpoint, Tony Musket, he if if he'd been rated Jerry by that by that uh, article as the number one quarterback in the ACC, from a depth standpoint, you need a backup that you can rely on, and nothing against Anthony Calandria, but he's a true freshman. God forbid he ends up being the starting quarterback this year. I think the kid's got a future at EVA, but I don't want that future to be this year. And so, I can't believe they didn't go out and get another quarterback. Yeah, and maybe they did go after one and just couldn't convince anybody to come here because, you know, a lot of these guys might not want to, might not have wanted to come to a team that went three and seven last year and isn't predicted to do much better. So, um, I know playing time is something a lot of these guys look for, but they, you know, they also want to win, and you know the projections aren't very good, so. Uh, maybe he did go after some people that we don't know about and just couldn't couldn't land them, couldn't convince them to join the, the program. But that yeah, doesn't say much but, for him either, does it? <laughs> well, no, not really. And and you know that. Um, but I agree. I, they they really needed to bring in another guy just in case this happened. I, they had to have at least had an inkling that Wolfolk might be thinking this way because. He had a pretty decent season, all things considered, and he's got a bright future, it appears. And the fact that he split time between the two programs kind of indicated that you know, he might be thinking about going solely to baseball and, and giving up football. But you, you got you to get caught in a bind there by not bringing in yet another guy to – you know, somebody who could compete for the starting job, if, if nothing else. I think you're selling his numbers short. He had a two nine one ERA this year. <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah, he had, he had a good season. Yeah, uh, maybe it didn't not. end well, but uh, you know, he, um, and and again, it didn't end well because, like Brian O'Connor told us during the College World Series, that Jay wasn't himself the last, you know, the last few weeks of the season, or at least the last couple of weeks of the season, because. He had been dedicating a lot of time to football practice, so uh, uh, who, who knows? And, and then he turns out not to play football. What a what a you know because the, the game against Florida, he's standing out there in the bullpen in the eighth inning and ninth inning while Jake Berry's giving up all those bombs. Um, and then he miraculously got better at that week off after the College World Series. Uh, between that and then you know going to the USA Baseball Collegiate National Team, including his time in the intra-squad games where guys were trying to make the team. And then they actually wrapped that, that, that two week uh, period up. They played Japan and Chinese Taipei in a pair of series. Um, he pitched in six games uh, through six and two thirds innings, gave up one run, 1.35 ERA, eight strikeouts, two walks and six and two thirds innings. Pretty good numbers uh, for, yeah. for Wolfolk uh, yeah. there with, with, against some really good opposition. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you, you're you're not a scrub if you make that national team. <laughs> they yeah. go with guys that they believe in and people who they think have a bright future in the game. So uh, I thought that spoke uh, volumes about his potential when he got selected for that team. It's a true honor to represent your country, and and then to be able to deliver like that, uh, like you said, some great numbers there. He's got a bright future, I think, in, in baseball. I'm, I'm not so sure that would have been the case had he selected to stay 
split between football and baseball. Not many guys could pull that off. In fact, in my time uh, covering at Virginia Athletics, and even before my time, uh, I think there's only two guys that played football and baseball, and that was Mike Cubbage back in the early 70s before me here. Um, and he was able to pull it off. He was a starting quarterback for some time and was offered – actually offered some football scholarships uh, at, at – uh, out of high school. So uh, to be a quarterback. And then uh, obviously he had went on and had a, a great major league baseball career. And uh, I was reminded that Simeon Willis did that, I guess, his final year or maybe it was his fifth year of eligibility that he – after playing football here at quarterback that he played baseball. Uh, I, I can't remember. I don't, I don't know that he had an outstanding year that one season, but anyways, uh, it's a rare feat for anybody to do that. I know a few guys did it in football and basketball back uh, in the Terry Holland, Jeff Jones days, including Terry Kirby and I think Mark Cook. Matt And Matt Blunden. Matt Blunden was very was very good. He, he was he was probably the most successful. Yeah, he was a rotation guy for basketball and starting quarterback his last year in football. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Kirby didn't get Kirby had uh, Kirby didn't get much run in basketball. He had a, a couple of games where he was good, but Blunden was a regular contributor in basketball. Yeah, Blunden was solid. Yeah, uh, I remember. I think it was, I think it was the Sugar Bowl, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That he he, uh, he played, and then uh, I remember flying back and, and driving with someone over to Marshall for a basketball game that I don't, I don't think they started in, but he flew in and uh, separately from the team, I guess he was flying back from new Orleans so he could play in that basketball game. So yeah, he did it well. Not, not many people can pull off two sports in college. That's for sure. The, and you mentioned Simeon Willis uh, after his football career. And then there was another guy that I remember, Anthony Martinez. I don't know if you remember Anthony Martinez. He was a top recruit in the grow era, played quarterback. They kind yeah. of ruined him, made, had, had him start a game down at South Carolina. He threw a 99-yard interception return uh, in, in that game. Um, he kind of lost his confidence. He ended up playing baseball, I want to say, for two or three years, but it was after football. So yeah. it wasn't like he was doing it at the same time. I forgot about him, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so and and he's a different one too because he wasn't doing it at the same time. And even all fairness to Mike Covich, back in the seventies, baseball and football uh, at the college level were different than they are now in terms of the demands uh, on on time for both individual sports. Um, and so, yeah, for for Wolfolk, it, it's it's it was you know it it did impact his season. It impacted the UVA baseball season. Just not having him available, your 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 closer not available. Uh, in the College World Series, in a game you, you know, you took a team, you had a team down in the, in, in the ninth inning, five three, uh, then ended up going to the championship series, and you couldn't put them away because you didn't have your closer available. That that does stand out. But Jay's future is in baseball. He will be a. I'm seeing a lot of you know a lot of second, third round pick projections for him, top 100, top 150 uh, prospect for next year. So, uh, and with you know seeing guys like Kyle Teal and, and Jake Geloff both going uh, early this year. Connolly early went in the fifth round. Zach Geloff, who was picked a couple of years ago, is about to debut this weekend for the Oakland A's. Andrew Abbott. There's seven guys uh, from the 2021 20, draft class uh, that uh, have already reached the major leagues. Two of them are Brian O'Connor guys, Andrew Abbott and Zach Geloff. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, my fear for Wolfolk was he'd get out there, uh, maybe be in a Wildcat play call or catch a pass on some trick play or something like that, end up hurting his shoulder. And then boom, there goes the golden shoulder. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, That's a heck of a risk. It's uh, a risk. Yeah. Got yeah. That kind of money possibly on the line down the road. Yeah. And we've seen guys, we've, we've talked about Anthony Poindexter guys get hurt uh, on the football field and, and have their, have their lifetime earnings, uh, you know, impacted by that. So, so no, it's that's this is big news, and it's 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 big news that affects uh, football particularly right now. For baseball, it just means they get Jay's full attention uh, in the fall and next spring. But for football, it definitely puts um, uh, Tony Elliott uh, even more so under the behind the eight ball as far as his offense goes. So, 
Um, let's see. So switching gears, I guess we've kind of talked about, uh, and maybe stay with baseball just for a minute, Jerry, we talked about the draft picks, uh, uh, four guys and then a fifth, a recruit, uh, taken, uh, in the draft this year, Kyle Teal, first round 14th pick Boston, uh, uh, Jake Geloff surprised to me that he, that he went as late as he did 60th pick late second round LA Dodgers. Great situation for him though. As far as that goes, both guys actually falling a bit, but great situations for them. Uh, Connolly early fifth round, uh, Boston Red Sox and Ethan O'Donnell. I think he was fifth round also, but I, I can't think of which team, uh, he ended up going to Jerry. Do you have that off the top of your head? I'm trying to remember, uh, I don't have it off the top of my head. I'll 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 reference it here real quick on the on on uh one of our stories, but uh uh let's see uh because I let's see I'm I'll and Johnny Farmello is the other the recruit um that was taken a little bit ahead of projection. He actually went late first round to the Seattle Mariners. He he's a right. a high school center fielder from Northern Virginia that really came on uh late. And um, ended up being taken in the first round. You have to imagine O'Donnell went to the Cincinnati Reds, so he'll he'll, he'll yeah. join the the farm yeah. system of of Andrew Abbott, who's now at the big level. But yeah, Farmello, you have to imagine. I saw his signing bonus slot is two point eight million dollars. There's still room for wiggle, not a lot, but you know he he could he could gamble on himself and think he could be a top ten pick and double that. But it, it, it's hard to imagine a kid turning down two point eight million dollars coming out of high school. So. Um, so impacts there, we kind of obviously knew Teal and Geloff were, were headed out. So probably O'Donnell as well. I was a little surprised to see early drafted in the fifth round. Um, good for him, obviously great situation for him. And then Farmello. So, uh, so impacts, I mean, it's, it's, it's comes, comes with the territory when you're a baseball coach that you can lose some guys to the MLB draft. Yeah. It won't be the first time that's happened to Virginia and, and Farmello. Yeah, you're right. 2.8 million. That's a lot of money to turn down. It's a risk if you decide, hey, I'll go to college and see if I can improve my status between now and my junior year or whatever. And you just don't know. You don't know. You, you, you could go up. It could stay the same or it could diminish. Um, yeah. yeah. And I know, you know, they have the NIL stuff going on now to where it guys can get paid to – stay in school or go to school and and have spending money and maybe more depending on your deal. But um, I, I'd, I'd be shocked if he turns down 2.8 and um, you can always go come back and go to college and get your education. So uh, not many people get an offer like that coming, coming out of high school for sure. It's, so. st- it's still about 2 million after taxes. You could put a lot of that away. And, and take care of yourself for the rest of your life and then just worry about playing baseball. Yeah. That's, that's going to be, that's, that's going to be a hard one. So, um, but, but great news for those guys uh, uh, heading off, I'm sure soon uh, to their destinations. I, I've already done an analysis on Teal. Um, I, I plan to do kind of a, how they fit into their organization uh, looks for all four of the guys who've gotten picked, but for Teal, um, uh, uh, there's not a lot ahead of him in Boston at catcher. There's there's two guys in their top 30 prospects list that, uh, you know, one guy's a double A, one guy's at low A. Uh, their major league catcher is a third-year guy hitting about 230. So uh, Teal, Teal has a pretty clear path. If he, if he you know, performs, stays healthy, um, he could be in the big leagues in a couple of years, kind of like Andrew Abbott. So uh, we'll see how, how things work out for those other guys. But uh, Teal... Again, falling, he was projected as high as number three that I saw. I, I think someone said maybe number two uh, in the draft. But falling to Boston, man, that's not. there's worse things than that. Going to a successful organization where uh, you have a, a rather clear path to getting to the big leagues in, in short order. Yeah, I think I think he went that late because of some of the teams that were drafting earlier than that just weren't, mark, weren't shopping for a catcher. And so I think um, – I think he's got a, a a lot of opportunity there because he's a hard hitting guy with some power. And if you, like you said, if the other guy's hitting two thirty, uh, you know, Till projects to be better than that. And you know, you're not going to find a guy that has any more endurance than he does. I mean, he <laughs> he never came came out of games. He 
played every game, even against some of the Rena victims that Virginia played. Uh, I mean, he was there, and you just don't see that even in college baseball. But somebody that just works that hard and is so tireless and never comes out. Uh, I mean, he's he's definitely got big league written all over him. And uh, it was ironic, I guess, that Geloff was picked number 60, the exact same spot that his brother Zach was picked a couple of years ago. And he just got called up to the big Oakland A's. And so uh, pretty nice week for the Geloff family. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Both being the 60th pick. Yeah. I think that puts pressure now on Jake to get up to the bigs in a couple of years. Um, you know, you talked about Teal and, and playing, he played all 65 games this year. I think he may have come out for an inning or two. Literally. I think I saw that stat somewhere where he played all, but just a couple innings this year. And to put in perspective, what that means as a catcher, you know, I, I used to broadcast games on ESPN plus I, I did VMI baseball for several years and we would, we would broadcast three game weekend series. Uh, you know, five or six series a year, and and by Sunday, you know, you're 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 when you're just announcing the games, you're tired. You know, it's like hey, Mike, we played, we did Friday night, we did Saturday night, afternoon or night, and Sunday during the day, and uh, you know, a catcher's back there. You know, they're they're receiving anywhere 120, 130, 140 pitches in a game. They're back there. They're you know they're crouching, they're squatting on every one of those plays. Uh, you know, it, it grinds at by Sunday, you know, let the guy DH, you're thinking to yourself. Just let the guy DH and, you know, get his bat in the lineup and let somebody else catch. But that says a lot about Kyle, that he played all those games this year. And it's not as easy as anybody would want it to sound. It's not, stand, you know, no offense to other players on the on the baseball team, but it's not standing in the outfield. It's not, it's not standing, you know, on the infield. You're You're working really hard. Uh, for those three hours you're in a game uh, and doing so and baseball being pretty much a daily game, it's a grind. And for him to grind that out the way he did uh, is impressive. And I found a, I found a quote, uh, Brian O'Connor talked to uh, NESN uh, North, North uh, New England sports network about, about Kyle. And he put, he's putting pressure on the young man. He compared him to, he said that my, my comp for him is Buster Posey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty nice uh, comparison. <laughs> yeah. Buster Posey is borderline Hall of Fame. You know, catchers uh, uh, tend to flame out a little bit sooner because of all those demands that they have to endure in their careers. And so his career was over at the age of 32. But you put his numbers up against anybody's uh, as a catcher. And Buster Posey's he'll be eligible for the Hall of Fame in 2026. It would not surprise me to see him be a Hall of Famer. Kyle, he's pretty much Buster Posey, according to Brian O'Connor. So uh, <laughs> we'll see, we'll see how that works out. But hey, he's a, he's a great hitter. He also uh, one thing that you maybe don't see, he threw out sixteen of twenty five uh, would be base dealers this year. Um, that number twenty five is awfully low, probably because the sixteen number out of twenty five is awfully high. You, you pretty much knew not to run on the guy. So yeah, not only absolutely. did he hit over four hundred, but he he's a he's great behind the plate. Yeah, I mean, as catcher, you're you're pretty much the quarterback or the point guard of, of your team, and you're you're calling the game. You're you're really in charge, and that's something not to be taken lightly either. And, and just the fact that you're out there day after day, game after game, and uh, that's that's physically demanding to be in that catcher position, uh, squatting down for three or four hours every game, every night, and uh, hats off to him. I, I, you know, and, and he was uh, he was one of the guys in the Buster Posey, fighting for the Buster Posey Trophy for the National Catcher of the Year. So um, who, who better to compare you to in that regard? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Hi, it's Jonathan Cotton with the Good Feet Store. As a lifelong runner, the pain in my feet was debilitating. Finally, I went into the Good Feet Store and found the answer personally fit art supports. They helped me so much, I ran my first marathon that year. Then, because I believed in the Good Feet system so much, I bought the store. I'm so happy to offer my hometown community the opportunity to find relief from foot, knee, and back pain. The Good Feet Store is located in the shops at Stonefield near Trader Joe's. Book your appointment today at goodfeet.com. This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993. 
back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Well, we have a lot of, uh, let's see, we have a lot of basketball news, men's basketball news. Yeah, A lot of recruiting news, but let's start with the coaching news. Um, The NCAA uh, voting earlier this year to allow uh, several sports, including men's basketball, to add to the number of full-time assistants. So uh, there were two new positions opened up that could go full-time starting July 1st, and probably not a surprise, two guys uh, being elevated from sort of internal uh, promotion uh, kind of situations by Tony Bennett to full-time jobs on his staff. Yeah, Johnny Carpenter has been there for nine years uh, in a role of developmental coach, uh, uh, does a lot of research, recruiting, uh, scouting, et cetera, um, player development. Uh, is one of the guys that got elevated to full-time assistant. And Isaiah Wilkins, who Virginia fans fell in love with during his time here as a player, and has been back as a as a part time, I guess part time guy role for the last two years, also doing the same thing as uh, as Johnny, uh, both elevated into full time roles, and which I think means they can go out on the road recruiting. I, I guess I I, I didn't. I don't know if I saw that in in the uh, information they put out, but I would assume if you're a full time assistant, you're allowed to go out and on the road and recruit. Now I'm, I'm a lot to double check on that, but um, which would probably be a good thing because there's so much strain on these coaches now um, with all the national EYBL AAU tournaments uh, all across the country. They're trying to get eyes on so many recruits, and uh, that's got to really put a strain on coaches to go out and try to evaluate all these high school kids and not to mention uh, going over film and, and stuff, trying to find out who they want on the team from the transfer portal and and all that stuff. And, and they're not just looking at current recruits. They're looking at future recruits, you know, two or three classes down the road. So they're seeing, they're seeing a lot of players. So uh, I hope for their, their sake that uh, that they're allowed to go out and do that. But uh, two strong, I don't know if you can really say additions because they were there in the first place, but uh, additional roles on, on Virginia's team. And I'm not a bit surprised that, that Tony Bennett elevated those two guys and uh, pretty darn good coaching staff, I would say, Chris, uh, with getting Ron Sanchez back in the fold after having been a head coach at Charlotte the last five years, having success down there with the 49ers, and then um, obviously Jason Williford and uh, Orlando Vandross, uh, who's carving out a, a nice name as a recruiter as well. And uh, these two guys now, uh, there's some uh, not much room on that first row of the bench or so many coaches in college basketball. Now, I don't know if they'll get a front row seat or still have to sit in the back row. May have to uh, take, you know, draw straws or something before each game. Uh, <laughs> who sits there with, with seniority, the- maybe. They may still be at the – Either the end of the bench or on the back row. <laughs> hey, and one other guy added too, uh, another Wahoo oh, yeah. favorite, yeah. Chase Coleman added as a grad assistant. Well, you didn't see that coming, did you? He, he was pretty much a coach the last couple of years as it was. Yeah, he really was. They they like to describe him as a coach on the floor, and certainly he, he knows the game. And uh, sounds like a nice career path for him because he's really was really into it and was a really smart guard who uh, – as came on as a walk on and earned a scholarship and got playing time in certain situations, not just garbage time, but uh, some legitimate minutes over the last couple of seasons. So uh, Tony likes to bring in grad assistants who have experience in his program and get their coaching career started and give them an opportunity to grow and, I'm sure Chase is uh, extremely excited to be part of that staff. I remember reading once that Chase had, had said, 
you know, one of the reasons he wanted to go to the University of Virginia, in addition to it being a great school and, and the opportunity to walk on and, and try to walk on to the basketball program, was that he he knows he wants to be a coach one day. His father, Cliff, is is a JUCO coach, uh, Bryant and Stratton College down in Virginia Beach, uh, had a 23-7 and seven season this past year. And so he knew already, hey, I want to get into coaching, and who better to learn under than Tony Bennett, uh, you know, the, and all those other assistants that you've mentioned. And uh, and so now he gets to do that, work towards his grad degree. I, I loved in the press release how it was noted that uh, both um, uh, Johnny Carpenter and, of course, Isaiah, we, we know Isaiah played at Virginia, graduated in 2018. Also, uh, you know, as he the last two years is working towards his master's degree. Johnny was a team manager back in his day, uh, and he was the head team manager his his final year, 2012-2013. Then he got his ma- his first master's. Then he just finished up his MBA at Garden School. So, um, uh, you know, these are these are guys. These are serious guys. I mean, they got some chops. Uh, in addition to the basketball part of it, they got the other stuff going on too. So, um, pretty pretty heady staff over there under Tony Bennett. No question, no question at all, and. Uh... If you talk to Isaiah or Johnny, you you know that they're really students of the game and they they know what they're doing. So I'm I'm glad that they got their coaching starts here. So who knows, at some point, if some of the older guys move on or uh, become head coaches elsewhere, they may be on the front row of the the bench. Also, so we talked about coaching news, a lot of recruiting news, some offers going out for future classes. Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, as we mentioned last week, Christian Bliss is is the only guy in the 2024 class that's uh, coming in. But there are eight offers on the table out there for the class of, uh, well, actually class 23 for Bliss. uh, the other eight guys, class 2024, uh, three offers this week, Chris, and the latest is uh, Derek Dixon, a 6'5 combo guard from Gonzaga High School in D.C., part of that Catholic league up there, which is so tough, great basketball in that league. He's a four-star, um, and he has an impressive list of, of offers from uh, Villanova, Virginia Tech, Xavier, Syracuse, Kansas State, Pitt, Providence, George Mason, Maryland, Penn State. I, I don't know if I mentioned him or not. He's He's been ranked uh, in the top 100 for his class in the nation at, at any position. So that's another top 100 guy Tony and his staff are going after. Um, rated as number 12 consensus combo guard in the country. and the num- pretty much the number two overall prospect in, in the district of Columbia, which has some pretty good bas- high school basketball. Uh, he's been described as a really solid on-ball on ball defender. And um, he's, I think he's, well, there's a bunch of guards they've offered, but uh, he was the only guard this week. Uh, he's actually in the class of, I think he was in the class of 2025. Yeah, he's in the class of 2025, not 2024. There's been so many guys coming at us, I can't keep up with them. Uh, but we have a list uh, at jerryratcliffe.com of all the guys offered in each class, 24 through 26. So you can go there and check that out. It's a really nice list that my son Scott puts together. Uh, a guy from the class of 2024, Jacob Kofi, uh, was the first guy offered this this week. He's uh, only 17 years old, and he's 6'9", 225, power forward. Uh, it plays out in Washington, state of Washington, in the Seattle area for Eastside Catholic. And uh, he, uh, I think he was in Massachusetts before he, he moved out to Washington. He's, he's uh, ranked in the top 100 by a couple of recruiting services and ranked the um, anywhere from 12 to 31 is in, in the power forward category for that class. And the number one or number two overall prospect in the state of Washington 
he uh, he's kind of come on during the EYBL season, and he only averaged uh, eight points, um, I think, during his last season. But he had other really good numbers, like 13 rebounds, uh, high field goal percentage, high uh, not not a great free throw percentage, but he's a kid that um, even though he's got a, a good body for a power forward at his age, 17. It looks like he might have to add some strength sometime between now and, and college ball. But he is one of the most coveted players by all the Pac-12 schools in, in terms of being a, a, well, not just a power forward, but uh, he, he's, he's been described as an elite face-up shooter. So uh, and he has field goal percentage to back that up. He's already had official visits to Oregon and Washington and uh, plans to go see Southern Cal and maybe Gonzaga. So Virginia would like to get a, a visit out of him so they can show him what it's like here on the on the East Coast. Um, he, he did. We're talking about how some of these guys have really caught coaches' eyes in these evaluation period tournaments and stuff, in a July 4th game in the EYBL, he had a 14.12 rebound, two-block game and a win, and uh, shot 58%, 7-12. And in an, uh, another game, he had 25-7. and seven. So uh, I think they uh, I think they liked what they see in him and, and what he might could potentially bring to the table. They offered another power forward the same day, um, Chris, a kid from Texas, David Punch, 6'7", 205 from Harker Heights. I think that's I think that's outside Dallas. I'm not sure. But um, 247 Sports ranks him in the top 100, I think 88 nationally overall, uh, 39 ranking as a power forward by one service, 51 by another, and either nine or 13 overall prospects in the state of Texas. He has a, a decent list of suitors as well. He's um, not quite as, as much as Kofi, but uh, he's a kid who apparently has came on really strong during the EYBL evaluation period as well. It's been offered by UVA, Virginia Tech, VCU, San Francisco, Penn State, Oral Roberts, New Mexico, Xavier, and a handful of other schools, uh, New Mexico State, and some of those. Um, he's um, he's a guy that scores around and above the rim. He plays through contact, which is something that Jason Wilford uh, likes, I know, in his big men. He has long arms, big hands. He can shoot to three. He can face up and attack. And um, has some nice moves, inside moves. So he, uh, in one of those, uh, in the Georgia, um, not Georgia, but in the Texas 6A playoffs, um, in, a, in a win, in, in a win where his team scored 59 points, he had 30 of them to go along with 17 rebounds. So uh, along with four blocks and three dunks, and uh, it, it was diving on the floor, made eight out of nine uh, field goals. Uh, assume he got uh, a few free throws in there too, but uh, three pretty solid offers for recruits there, Chris. And like I said, uh, they have uh, three, four, five, uh, seven or eight, Guys offered in the class of 24, three in the class of 25. Dixon is one of those, and uh, in, including Chance Mallory from Charlottesville, that we talked about recently, and one from uh, the class of 2026, the 6'8 uh, Latrell Almond kid that we talked about from Richmond, Virginia. So uh, and I guess we should also mention that Con Canupel, the guy who led the EYBL in scoring nationally this past season, uh, 
Virginia was in early on him, and he is they're still in the mix with him, but Duke and Alabama have gotten involved with him as well, and he has visits set up at both schools. He's already visited Virginia, and uh, so keep our eye out on, on that recruitment as we go as well. So I think that kind of rounds up the recruiting for this week, but uh, coaches are pretty active trying to uh, build this team for the future, Chris. And I'll, th- I'll throw one more thing out to you. You had a really interesting scatter shooting uh, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, as we're recording, uh, with a few tidbits, basketball and football tidbits particularly. Yeah, uh, Bliss, who uh, committed to Virginia last week over some pretty good schools as the, uh, I guess, the point guard of the future, 6'4", 205, pretty much a four-star. Um, and played in the uh, Peach Jam down in North Augusta for a week, played six games, averaged around 15 points, was named to the 10-man first-team Peach Jam tournament squad. Um, A lot of teams in that mix, so a lot of great players. So to make the 10-man first team, it's a pretty good honor. I think we're going to talk to him. I think we're going to have him on a podcast perhaps next week. He was trying this week, but – uh, some of these kids have so many games and stuff going on. It's it's hard for them to schedule anything. But uh, one of one of a couple of big time people we're going to have on our podcast next week. Um, and uh, the Hodge kid, uh, Matthew Hodge, whose dad uh, Odell was a star at Old Dominion back in the nineties, played against Jason Williford. Um, he also played in that tournament and did pretty well. I, I, he might have been an honorable mention, but he has scheduled a visit uh, to Virginia, I think, in September, if I recall off the top of my head. You, you say uh, in your story September 21st. Yeah, 21st. So a uh, little bit of news uh, on those two kids who uh, one is a future Wahoo, the other one could be. He's a Hodge is, a like I said, a six eight power forward from – New Jersey and uh, originally from Belgium. I, I think uh, I think his mom lives in Belgium. Uh, I guess he came over to the United States to play high school ball and seek a college home. So Virginia's all over the map, Chris. I see one other one of, one of the other many tidbits, and I, I just recommend the listeners and viewers out there to go to the go to the scatter shooting column on the website on jerryracklip.com. Uh, JMU announced it has sold out all of its home season tickets uh, this year. Um, it, that says 87-18 is their number of home season tickets. I'm guessing there's going to be more than 8,718 JMU fans in Scott Stadium on um, that first, uh, uh, let's see, excuse me, second Saturday in September. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> they, they support their program pretty well, and it's a short trip, and uh, I'm sure expectations are high, although um, – they beat some pretty good teams last year. They did. Yeah. They got uh, a lot of people coming back. Uh, I did see in the, the Lindy's preseason magazine that they are actually ranked below Virginia in the uh, expectations, I guess. I think they were 78 or something like that. I, and, uh, you got Virginia 76, according to Lindy's, and JMU 98. I'm surprised. 98. Yeah, 98. That's right. Uh, they so, did lose their quarterback. They had a pretty good, uh, a, a good numbers quarterback last year, so that might be part of their issue going into this season. Yeah, it could could very well be. And so, um, I got too many numbers rattling around in my head. <laughs> Boy, and I'm just now seeing this one, Jerry. Um, about okay, so the Northwestern situation. Everybody who's listening to this, I'm sure, knows what's going on with Northwestern football. Um, a a name that we're pretty familiar with being mentioned as a possible candidate there. Yeah, well, you know uh, what it's like. Uh, you've been part of many coaching searches, as have I. And uh, so when a coach gets fired, people start throwing out every name in the book of somebody who might be available or might not even be available. And in this case, uh, after Pat Fitzgerald was fired up at Northwestern in that scandal uh, this past week, uh, like you said, a familiar name, Bronco Mindenhall's name surfaced as a p- potential 
candidate for the job. I don't know uh, how serious that is, but we'll keep our eye on it. Uh, certainly Bronco late last year decided that he would like to get back into college coaching. And uh, even though there were a lot of openings in the off season, I don't know if I, I never heard or read if he interviewed for any of those vacancies, Chris, but uh, apparently he's serious about getting back into the game again. So it'll be interesting to follow that and see if anything develops, develops there. I, I would like to see him get back into coaching. I, I think Bronco is a good coach. Um, does things a little differently, but uh, always had a good relationship with him. And uh, I, I think college football needs some guys with, uh, with character like Bronco has and, and a good football mind. So I hope you, I wish him well. I hope he lands a job somewhere uh, in the not too distant future. If you're out of it for a while in college coaching, it's hard to, hard to get back in. What was he, six years at Virginia, a school that has rigorous academic requirements, and certainly that would get you ready for a job at Northwestern. And then, you know, I mean, I don't know if anything can get you ready for having to take over uh, in the wake of the scandal that's out there. You know, there's actually a Virginia player uh, on the roster, Malik Washington, transferred from Northwestern. Right. Um, I, tried, I tried to reach out to Virginia. I tried to reach out to him through Virginia Athletics. Uh, not surprising. Uh, the word got back to me. He does not want to comment on that story. Um, I wouldn't either of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you know, it's kind of, you know, I mean, obviously, you, you know, I'm sure inquiring minds kind of want to know what he saw there. I mean, is, in, did that factor in his, into his decision to want to transfer? He's, he he was their leading receiver last year, um, graduated from there. And uh, so anyway, uh, so there is a Virginia tie to that story, if you want to say. Um I guess as we're getting ready to wrap up, Jerry, we had a lot of news this week. Uh, anything else on your mind as we're uh, counting down the minutes here? Yeah, a ton of stuff, Chris. <laughs> uh, it's pretty cool. Um, my son, Scott, uh, had a couple of nice interviews this week, uh, thanks to uh, Eric Bacher over at Sports Information uh, with Jacob Groves. Uh, and he did a story for uh, – your site and a different story from my site, but uh, uh, Virginia fans uh, should check out both sites and read the story. Uh, it's a uh, really interesting tale about uh, his development and, and what uh, he expects at Virginia and what Virginia expects from him. So uh, I, I would encourage you to go and read that story uh, along with all of our other stuff. Well, we've got like like we said a few weeks ago, Chris, when we entered the summer, we wondered what we were going to talk about. Well, there's there's never a dull moment in the world of Wahoo sports these days. We we've had a ton of content as has Chris, and uh, that's why we have our hour long podcast each week because there's plenty to talk about. Uh, it's amazing how it used to be in the summertime. You were you were dying for stuff to have to write about for content and to talk about, but these days, it's, you're lucky if you can keep up with all of it. There's so much going on. But uh, imagine how long these podcasts are going to be when we actually have stuff to talk about, Jerry. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, he's going to have a couple of uh, uh, features on some new Virginia basketball players over the past, over the, uh, the next few days, starting today. Um, I went over to the uh, George Welsh indoor facility this morning bright and early at nine o'clock for a, uh, they had uh, four players available that transferred in late, I think. Um, so I talked to, I didn't have time to talk to all of them, but I talked to the two defensive backs, Malcolm Green and Sam, um, gosh, why can't, why am I Westfall. blanking? Sam Westfall. Westfall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MSMU. Uh, Malcolm, of course, came in from Clemson and has a, a younger brother on the team. He'll be a freshman from Highland Springs. So had uh, really good interviews with both those guys, very uh, confident guys who have NFL aspirations and uh, believe they can contribute to what could be a pretty darn good Virginia defense, Chris. I know last week we talked about, is there any reason to get excited about Virginia football? And, and while it's, it's hard to find much on the offensive end, defense has got like eight, 
returning starters and then these two guys who have plenty of experience and good football programs, SMU and Clemson. Uh, I think both guys were banged up a little bit. It, it prevented them from uh, maybe being where they wanted to be. But uh, just talking to Malcolm, I said, you know, if you hadn't gotten had so many injury issues at Clemson, where do you think you'd be right now? And he said, I think I'd be in the NFL right now. So a um, couple of good pickups by Tony Elliott's staff and can, could be strong contributors to a Virginia secondary that's going to need uh, to replace a couple of guys that departed and uh, they were really good. So, uh, but anyway, uh, lot, lots of stuff coming. I think we've got some really good podcasts and some interesting guests. I won't give away who all of them are uh, coming up in the next week or two. But uh, I think that's probably pretty much it, Chris, unless you got something on your mind. And uh, if not, I'll, I'll just thank our sponsors. I'll just say for the football, run the ball. We got a good punter. Punt the ball well, pin them down, play defense. That's the game plan. There we go. <laughs> right. That might be one way you can win by scoring 17 points. <laughs> the only way we can win by scoring 17 points. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the defense should be the defense should be really good. I, I'm, I'm and I'm glad to hear that uh, you know you had a chance to talk with some of those guys and uh look forward to and boy, the pressure's on them. They, they're gonna have to really step up, but I bet they will. Yeah, I I think John Rudinsky Rudzinski is uh, a real quality coach. I think they got lucky in landing him as defensive coordinator. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him if if he has another good year. He might end up being a head coach somewhere. Uh, if you can coach uh, defense like that for a couple of years in Power Five football, there's there's a market for guys who can do that. He turned around that defense that was that bad two years ago, and in one year he had them playing great football. Yeah, he's 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 not long, unfortunately, for Virginia, but uh, you know he's he's doing us well for the for the time being. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, otherwise, I'd like to thank our uh, podcast sponsors and, and also remind you uh, we're getting a lot of nice numbers with our podcasts. And uh, as Chris said last week, if you can't find us on any of your favorite podcast platforms, uh, let him know and he will be glad to put it there. But we're, I think we're on just about all of them. And uh, we're also on YouTube. So you can... Uh, listen, we'll view our podcast there, but uh, couldn't do it without our sponsors. Uh, Roback, got to show off the logo of the of the dog. You can see it there. Uh, local sportswear company born in Charlottesville, backed by UVA people and uh, their NIL contributors and, and uh, Wahoo people. So if you're going to go out and buy nice clothing, uh, Give Roback a chance. Look at their ads on our website and uh, click on the link. Get a nice discount. I know many of you have, and we appreciate it, and Roback appreciates it. Uh, they've got so many designs on their shirts uh, that you can use to play golf or tennis or wear out for a, a nice dinner or evening, and they're very comfortable, uh, lightweight. Um and they have a women's line with some really good stuff. They have shorts, hoodies, uh, Q-zips, uh, you name it. They've, they've got it all. So check them out. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised with what you find. And uh, the Aberdeen Barn, Virginia's finest steakhouse. Makes my mouth water every time I think about it. Uh, great atmosphere, great food, great service, conveniently located on 29 uh they're at the intersection of 29 and 250 pretty much and um you never know who you're going to see in there there's every wahoo that's ever come around has used that as a one of their favorite dining places and um recruits coaches players past players you name it um i'll never forget a, a dinner there i had once chris with uh Joe Palumbo, Tom Scott, guys are in the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, George Welsh was there. Uh, to just on and on. Uh, incredible place. But uh, 
check them out. Go by and tell them that Hootie sent you and Chris sent you. And um, also the Good Feet store. Uh, Jonathan Cotton, who grew up in Crozet, is a UVA fan, also a contributor, donor, NIL guy for Virginia. Uh, he's does a lot of uh, events over there. One of the fastest growing companies in the United States, uh, particularly all over the Mid-Atlantic. They design special arches for your feet to make it more comfortable to walk and run. Uh, they do it just for your foot, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, I'm a customer and I can vouch for that. Um, but Jonathan's everywhere, man. <laughs> I see him on Twitter. He is just, the guy is everywhere. He, he's, he knows everybody. He, they just opened up a store in Bristol. They, uh, I think they're opening up one in, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, so I'm foot racing against one of the Virginia football players this week, <laughs> and he didn't lose too badly. It was a, it was a sprint, uh, but you know Jonathan's not exactly a spring chicken, and even though he got beat by several lengths, uh, you know he held his own. And I I teased him about it a little bit. He laughed, but uh, he's a great guy, uh, and you know you love supporting people who have their uh, heart in the right place. And he certainly does. He, he loves Virginia athletes and tries to support them. So support him and his great company. Thanks to all those folks. And um, we're looking for more sponsors out there. So if you'd like to uh, sponsor our podcast or our website or both, uh, just get a hold of us and we'll, we'll come and see you and talk about it. That's right. You can always use extra sponsorship to uh, help make these podcasts and videos and the websites possible. So thanks to all you readers and, and listeners and viewers out there. Go to jerryratcliffe.com. Go to augustafreepress.com for more on Virginia sports. For Jerry Ratcliffe, the Hall of Famer, I'm Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great week.